This is Alan Dibb, the author of the One Page Marketing Plan. Get new customers, make more money, and stand out from the crowd. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Alan Dibb, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hey, Douglas. Wonderful to be back. What's going on in your quarantine world? What's going on? Well, not too much. <laughs> um, I've spent the last three months in lockdown, and literally last night was the first time I went to out to dinner for in three months, which was fantastic. It was uh, really made me appreciate the smaller things. Oh wow! Well, now my listeners can probably guess where you are, but tell us where you are. I'm in Melbourne, Australia. And so you went out for the first time. So they're slowly. I, I guess the restaurants were closed for a while. Yeah, they were all closed. They've been closed for the better part of three months. And yeah, now they're open in a limited capacity. They, they can take up to 20 people per venue in, in my state. So, um, so yeah, it was wonderful to be back out there. <laughs> so did uh, Melbourne resident Mike Adams, did he take you to dinner? <laughs> no, it wasn't Mike. It was uh, myself and my wife. I, I don't think I would have gotten away with the first dinner being with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, Mike, I'm doing what I can to help you, brother. Now, yeah, now he was uh, on the show and he wrote seven stories every salesperson must tell. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, you guys hadn't met, but you have met now? We haven't met in person, but we, we had a bit of a chat uh, over the phone after you introduced us. And okay. uh, yeah, is a, is a, is a Great guy. So I'd love for all the, I, I love connecting these authors. I, I yeah. It's uh, and actually, there's another author I've interviewed twice from Melbourne, uh, Bernadette Jiwa. Oh yes. So before we go much further, I should say that Alan Dibb was on episode 183, and last week I published episode 281. So that was August of 2018 that you were on. So for folks that uh, don't know who Alan Dibb is or uh, have uh, listened to that particular episode, tell them who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Alan Dibb. I essentially help people build their own marketing capacity or develop their own internal marketing uh, capability. So uh, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a business coach and consultant. And yeah, I just love working with small business owners around the world to help them build their own internal marketing capability. And as I recall, you started, you've, you've started a few businesses and one of them in the pretty, uh, I, I guess, cutthroat telecommunications industry you grew that up, uh, and it was later named by um, 
oh, Business Review Weekly. Yeah. It was one of Australia's fastest growing uh, companies. It was. It was a wild ride. We went from zero to really four years later being uh, named as one of Australia's fastest growing companies. And um, we exited that. And uh, that was a very successful tech exit. And prior to that, um, I had a managed service company, essentially IT service provider. And that was really my training ground when it came to, to marketing. I spent 10 long years, you know, banging my head against the wall with expensive experience uh, learning the marketing game. And, and fortunately, I did. Um, and yeah, that was proved to be a really, really good training ground for me. Well, that's uh, very impressive. But the other thing people need to know about you is that when you were a kid growing up, you were a big fan of the TV show, The A-Team. Right, I was indeed. I was indeed. I still am. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, I, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, Doug. <laughs> Douglas. Well, maybe that's the affinity between the two of us. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, at my uh, my college here in Virginia, they had a career day, and they would ask people, alumni, to come back and talk about what they did. And there weren't that many that were working in marketing and they asked me to come back and it was a lot of fun got to meet a, other alumni and i always said i went up there because i still want to find a career and, <laughs> uh, you know we'll, we'll, we'll get there at some point so if i'm not mistaken did you go on your first trip to the united states about a year ago or so i did yeah last year i was i did my five-week tour of the United States and also Canada and Mexico, and I had a wonderful time. I had a, such a wonderful country, and I met so many awesome people. I uh, had a wonderful, wonderful time. That's great. And you, where, where did you go? Uh, so I started off in Vancouver, um, and so I stayed there for a while, um, uh, and then San Francisco, then from San Francisco. I did a workshop in San Francisco and some speaking there. Then I went to Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, where I met some friends and spoke to an EO group there. Um, then I went to the lovely – I spent quite a bit of time in North Carolina. First, um, I chilled out in Asheville for a while. I started oh, yeah. I used to live yeah. there. Oh, wow. It's a beautiful place. I stayed at the Grove Park Inn. and. Yep. Um, that was a really, really nice place. And uh, I visited this, I can't remember the name of the some big mansion. Oh, built the by Biltmore the House. The Biltmore House, that's yeah, it. Yeah, built by one mm. of the Vanderbilts. Vanderbilts, yeah. So uh, that was that was really good. Um, then, um, then I went to Charlotte, spoke to a, a group there and spoke to another EO group there. Um, then I headed off to Raleigh. Um, and then after Raleigh, I went to New York. So I was in New York for a couple of weeks. And then my last stop was in Guanajuato, Mexico, where I spoke to a very large, uh, at a very large event there. Um, Guy Kawasaki was there. And oh, wow. A few, um, yeah. So it was a really, really great, great event. They put on an amazing event there. So, um, and that was my last stop. And then back to Australia. Oh, and you speak Spanish in Mexico? I do not speak Spanish, but we we for the to coincide with that event, we released the Spanish edition of the book. So oh. that was that was really fun too. Excellent, excellent. Well, <laughs> how did uh, how did this uh, pandemic affect what you normally are doing? Well, uh, to be quite honest, in terms of my own business, uh, it's probably been 
positive for my own business all, all, all around. Uh, there were definitely some speaking events where, you know, now we're either doing them virtual or putting them off, but speaking is not a major part of my business. I really do that mainly for, for fun and to see uh, my audience in, in person. But in terms of um, business and, and revenue, I think we, we're doing better than ever before. Really, when this whole pandemic hit sort of mid Mid-March is sort of when it really started to hit the fan here here in Australia. Um, I I started to, you know, I started to mobilise my team and really I started hiring people. I started investing in the stock market. I started doing new projects. It's kind of like I started doing the opposite of what m- many people were doing. So, which, uh, so and I think that's, that's had a really positive effect both on my team, um, you know, in terms of us as a business, where we're going, but also uh, I, I've always done very well taking a contrarian approach to what what the crowd is doing. It's less crowded, isn't it? It's a lot less crowded and it's a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got to believe you've been getting a lot of questions. What, what kind of things have people been asking you that, I don't know, maybe surprised you? Look, uh, what, what surprised me, um, a lot of people – and maybe in retrospect, it's not that surprising, but um, a lot of people were, you know, after it started really um, escalating is like, um, you know, it, you know, when is it okay to do marketing again or, or is it okay to, you know, and the the underlying tone is, hey, we don't want to be a jerk kind of thing. You know, a lot yeah. of people are suffering, you know, people are having a hard time and we don't want to be a jerk. Is it okay to be marketing, you know, or when will it be okay? And my view is absolutely it's a, the, the, one of the best times to, to, to do marketing. Now, of course, we can't be tone deaf. Of course, uh, we can't be insensitive. We would change things up so we wouldn't use fear in our marketing like maybe maybe we might or scarcity or that sort of thing because, you know, people have got enough of that going on in their lives right now. So, of course, we, we'd be sensitive to what people are feeling, what people are going through. But really, my answer is if you've got something that actually helps people that will make their businesses stronger or make their lives better in some way, you have a duty to be marketing yourself uh, to them and helping them out. So that was one thing that uh, I kind of surprised me a bit. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Alan, if I'm not mistaken, you didn't just wake up one day and decide to do this book. There was a bit of a uh... Uh, an era of uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth and false starts and things that you learned about uh, marketing and marketing plans that made you, that compelled you <laughs> to write this yeah. book. What, yeah. tell, uh, share, share that story. Look, for, for me, it was, um, and like, like I expressed earlier, my first business was my real training ground when it came to marketing. And it wasn't because I was into marketing or anything. I was a dead broke IT geek. And I just wanted to know, how do I get clients in the door? And I was so frustrated because um, there would be companies that would hire us for our technical expertise who are essentially competitors to what we did. And they they were nowhere near us technically. Um, they, Like I said, they would hire us to t- train them on the latest technology. But financially, they were doing far better than we were. And I'm like... What is going on? We we run rings around these people uh, with our products and our services and technically, and they're killing us financially. Wait, wait they um, were they were hiring you as subcontractors? 
sometimes as subcontractors, but often just to train them on, hey, uh, train us on this latest piece of technology or, or, or that, or, you know, teach us this, this type of system. Oh, okay. and, um, and, and we did. I mean, you know, the, the, the industry was pretty small at the time and we, everybody knew each other. There was plenty to, to go around. And we weren't exactly head-to-head competitors. We, we dealt in kind of different verticals and things like that. But um, to me, it was just like, what am I doing wrong? You know, I'm a good guy. I know my stuff. My, my existing clients love what I'm doing. Technically, we're excellent. Um, what is going on? Why aren't we getting a flood of customers like we deserve to be? <laughs> um, and, and what did so, you discover? Well, what were they doing right? Well, he, uh, what I discovered, and I was telling this story to one, a, a mentor of mine at the time, and he said to me, well, when does someone find out that your product or service is, is really good? I said, well, obviously when they engage us, when, when they buy from us. And he said, before they buy from you, they only know how good your marketing is. So that was like a lightning bolt moment to me. I'm like, and I'm like uh, we've got to get good at this kind of sales and, and marketing stuff. And I, I distinctly remember... Uh, going to lunch with a business partner of mine at, at the time. And, you know, uh, I was saying, you know, we've got a great business. We've got really good margins. Our customers love us. Uh, we just don't have enough of them. And so we've got the major thing figured out. And, you know, if we could just figure out this minor little thing called sales and marketing, then we'll be doing really well, you know. And um, little did I know I was really uh, mixing up major and minor. So the the product, yes, it's, it should be good. It should be excellent. Your service should be good. Um, but the major thing was the ma- sales and marketing piece. And so that took me on a, on a decade-long journey, decade journey to, to learn that. And one of the many things I liked about your book, and I want to tell a story about you're one of those authors that I've taken on a lot of trips with me because I've included a reference to your oh, book wow. in a presentation <laughs> I make. In fact, I, I sent a picture somebody took of me giving a talk and you were up on the yes uh, up on the screen that. there. So uh, that was in Arizona. So now you've been to Arizona, okay? So wow. check that off <laughs> that particular talk. But I remember in your book at the very beginning you said that um, by far the biggest leverage point in any business yeah. is marketing. And this is, again, a reminder to the listener, you weren't a marketing guy to begin with. Explain what you mean when you say that is the biggest leverage point. Well, here's the thing. There are many facets of business that we can learn in and get better in and, and all of that. And they're all, you know, they're almost all important, right? So if I, I find I get better at reading financial statements or if I get better at negotiation or all of those things, they're all good things and you should learn those things. But yes. here's the, here's the thing that they, they have incremental effects generally. So, okay, great. I get better at negotiation. I squeeze a few more points out of my vendors or suppliers or, or whatever, but um, getting better at marketing, if I get a few, you know, a few percent better at marketing, that can have an exponential effect on my business. You I've, know, seen huge. That. I've seen it happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, as the mentor of mine used to say, small hinges swing big doors. So um, it can make a massive, massive difference to your results. So it can add millions to your bottom line. It can double or triple your revenue. Um, You know, all of those things are possible by making small changes in your marketing. Yeah. The other thing, well, one of the many things in the book that I also recall is that you talked about how marketing is generally poorly understood. Uh, yes. by by professionals yes. and that there's often a 
sort of a blurring or a, a failure to understand the difference between strategy and tactics. What, yes. How do you how do you set that straight for folks? Yeah. So the way I set that straight is uh, it, it's very analogous to what um, what I went through when in this house that I'm in, uh, we built this house. We moved in about a year ago. Now, in the first six months. Um, you know, absolutely not a single brick was laid, nothing was dug, it was just a blank piece of, of land. And so we were spending that time with the architect, with the council, sometimes arguing with the council, all of that sort of thing. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute, aren't you, aren't you a self-described rebellious marketer? So, I, I mean, am. isn't there a certain, uh, well, I don't know if it's entrepreneurial or, or troublemaking streak in Alan Dibb? Very much so, and I think the, the the council would probably agree with that. So uh, <laughs> they they didn't like our our uh, plan that we had proposed, but anyway, we we got it through finally through some some uh, negotiation and meetings and all of that. Uh, I think uh, we've got to keep our public servants employed, right? So um, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, um, you, you do that by paying taxes, but that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Well, at, le- at least entertained, maybe, let's yes, say. <laughs> um, but uh, so we spent the, the first six months with the architect, with the council, planning this whole thing up, putting together the blueprint, getting that right, getting all the right permissions in place and, and all of that. And, you know, I remember when I walked into the architect's office initially, our first meeting, I was like excited. I said, hey, you know, I want a rooftop terrace and I want garages here and I want the pool here and everything. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, he's like, look, tell me a little bit about your lifestyle. Do you have children? Do you entertain a lot? Um, you know, what do you do for work? You know, are you home most of the time during the day or, or are you away? And, you know, I thought, isn't that interesting? You know, I've come in with all these tactical things saying, you know, I, I want this and I want that and I want this here. And he's like, no, hang on, back up, back up. Let's let's figure out how to make this house actually work for you and your family and and make sure that it's a, an actual good fit. And, you know, the design we ended up with was quite different to what I had initially envisioned. You know, like, for example, I, I wanted a rooftop terrace because we've got really nice views of the bay here. And he said, well, look, where you are, it's crazy windy. And it is. It, you know, the winds just get off the bay, just, just get insane here and he said so you, you, you're you're not going to be able to have any furniture up there um you know in summer it's going to be very very hot um and so he, he was right you know he was right on on all counts and so the design we ended up was quite different and that's what i find with with marketing you know sometimes i have to say to clients whoa whoa, whoa hang on yes yes i know you know what want to do LinkedIn, you want to do Facebook, we want to do Google ads, all of that sort of thing. But hang on, let's back up. Let's talk messaging. Let's talk target market. Let's get the product to market fit right. And then we can plug in all of those tactical things, kind of the laying of the bricks, the digging of the foundation, all of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And that's why in your book, and we'll include links to where people can see the the outline of the one-page diagram and include all the, all the links. But it's, it's basically this one page for the marketing plan. And as I often say in these talks, don't be fooled <laughs> by that title. <laughs> uh, you know, like, don't, don't think it's, it's, it's gimmicky. And then I go into it and talk about how it's basically nine squares on, on yes. a page. This is yeah. for listeners' benefit because I know Alan Dibb knows this. And the top three, uh, it's, it's, you know, there's three and then three and then three. And the top three have to do with what you call before. And that's mm-hmm. all those things like you're describing with the architect, all those things that need to happen more or less before anyone's ever even heard of you. Exactly. Really, really important. And yeah. then the, the second one is uh, 
I think you may call it during or or that's where they maybe yeah. where, where you've you've they they know who you are or you've somehow generated yeah. interest or a lead all yeah. the way till when they first become a customer. Exactly. More or less. And then the the third part, and this is the part that I really hammer hard at these uh, presentations, is it's all the things that have to happen after they're a customer. And the thing that I see with so many companies is that they really don't give much thought to that third part when, in fact, they're often sitting on a gold mine. In other words, it seems like if most some people say, oh, Douglas, if you only had a dollar to spend on marketing, what would you do? And I always say, mm. I would focus on making sure I'm selling as much as I can to my current customers, asking for referrals and making sure they're having a good experience with me. And that always seems to get people's attention. Absolutely, it's it's where the it's where the real money is made. You know, that's uh, in the after phase. A lot of people believe that marketing is done once the customer buys, <laughs> and I think nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, yeah, it's almost worth re- repeating. But do you yeah. still find um, most companies are thinking of marketing as really just? Do they do they seem as surprised as they do with me when I tell them that? You know, they they should really be focused their initial marketing efforts internally? Oh, very much so. Very much so. So, so a lot of times I'll start working with a client uh, in my uh, high-level coaching program and one of the, you know, they're, they're like, awesome, let's let's do some campaigns or let's get some new clients in. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, we, will, we will absolutely do that. But just tell me of your list of 5,000 past clients, when was the last time they heard from you? <laughs> Um, oh, when and- we had a when we had a coronavirus uh, email that went out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. The- you probably got an email from yes. every company that every capture ever captured your email address in the last <laughs> ten years, and you're saying I don't even remember who this cab yes. company in Melbourne is, or what? <laughs> That's it. That's it. Well, I'm only going to. Say the C word once, but uh, you know uh, they had in the headline um, uh, COVID nineteen uh, response, and I said, "Do not send an email called COVID nineteen response." <laughs> oh man! Well, unless it was a cure that they were announcing, and I seriously yeah. doubt that's that's what it was. Yeah, I don't know, and, and I've got to be careful not to beat up on folks because I think a lot of, of course. people are doing what they're told to do, and I think there were probably a lot of lawyers. Uh, yes. telling them to send some of those messages. But also, yes. you know, uh, they, they may have been tone deaf, but they weren't uh, necessarily evil or manipulative. No, they, were, no. they were feeling like they had to do something. Yes. Um, and and truth be told, that's kind of why I started doing this <laughs> limited time series, because I, I was hearing from a lot of listeners around the world yeah. saying, yeah. telling me various stories about how their world had been disrupted. And they were asking me, which books I should read because they'd already read yours. And uh, I, I thought, <laughs> you know what? I don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I sent that email to you and, and all the other authors. And they, uh, so many of them said, yes, please let me help. Let me, let me just talk to your listeners and see if there's something, you know, that, that we can do. So, well, is there anything that has really, I guess, surprised you? coming out of all this and I can it's, it's probably not too difficult to answer because most people had no idea what to expect well yeah of course uh, I mean I've never been through a pandemic before um, so uh, you know a lot of things are, are, are new and and surprising but to me it really brought to the fore 
you know, what happens kind of, and, you know, without getting too woo-woo here, you know, you know, I'm not kind of, um, <laughs> you know, I've got my feet on the ground, but, you know, it kind of reminded me of what happens essentially in nature, you know, um, you know, the, every now and then it's out with the old, in with the new, there's the forest fires, yep, there's that's just what I was thinking. Yeah, pandemics, all of those things, they're, they're, they're cyclical, you know, and just, it's usually when you're just starting to get comfortable and things are going well that, um, you know, that something like this comes up and you know we're back in january i mean most of australia was on fire so that i was reminded um reminded of that um but yeah these these are things that that happen and i i i when all this started happening again i reread um nasim taleb's book uh anti-fragile where he talks about you know nature and everything optimize for the whole not for the individual right so for an individual it might be a disaster but for the for the whole ecosystem it makes it stronger essentially i'll include a link to that book for folks that want to uh, learn more about that are there any permanent changes to your business or or things that are going to occur that uh you think are going to come ab- about from this pandemic yeah, for my business, we we were pretty well situated because we were already we already run a virtual environment. We run a remote team. Um, really, for us, uh, it was business as as usual. Uh, you know, of course, I, I I was making sure everyone was okay. Everyone had supplies that they needed, and particularly in uh, some of our uh, staff in the Philippines, uh, we needed to make sure that they were all all good. Um, but um, in terms of our business, we were very much um, along the lines of what Nassim describes as being anti-fragile. So we we benefited from this shock. So, you know, he, he talks about three states. You can be fragile, which means you're imp- negatively impacted by shocks. You can be robust, which, which means shocks don't make any difference to you. And then you can be anti-fragile in, in, in terms of you benefit from, sho- from shocks. And I certainly saw a lot of my clients um, in that latter category, where particularly who are in e-commerce, they we're doing enormous numbers, um, more, more than ever before. I did have a few clients at the at the fragile end because they have a large investment in a physical presence, in, um, in a lot of staff, a lot of physical locations, and things like that. And they weren't weren't classed as essential businesses, so they essentially had to shut down. So, but uh, fortunately, that was uh, a small number of, of clients. The vast majority were in the la- either in the robust or in the anti fragile kind of category. Talking to Alan Dibb, uh, you know, I have to go back to a question about marketing plans. And what are some of the biggest myths or misunderstandings that people have about marketing and marketing plans? Yeah, look, uh, I think some of the biggest myths is that it's difficult, it's expensive, it's complicated. And I was in that category. I, I was the guy who hired the uh, the expensive consultant to help me put together a marketing plan in my first business. And it was an awesome document. It was many, many pages long, had charts, graphs, projections, all of that sort of stuff. And, and it was very good at collecting dust after a short it while. It was very, very good at collecting. It went in the, to, the, to the top drawer of my desk, never saw it again till I was moving offices and clearing, <laughs> clearing, uh, clearing things out. And I dusted it off, tossed it in the trash, and I was sort of angry at myself for wasting the, that money with a the, with the consultant. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that's really what led me to to put together what 
the one page marketing plan process because when I worked with my own coaching clients, I wanted them to have a marketing campaign and they had the same objections, you know, too difficult, too expensive, too hard to do. So um, uh, by necessity, I really put together that, that process. So it was a process long before it was a book. Yeah. Now, as someone who's read your book carefully uh, and talks about it, I was wondering, in, at one part, you talk about, you know, uh, advertising or whatever. Do you have clients uh, that produce content to uh, attract customers to them? I, I noticed there wasn't quite as much about that in the book as, as I'm, you know, because that's kind of what we do. But mm. um, or, or is it your sense that that takes too long? Or does, does the idea of producing content, does that uh, it, you know, intimidate people the first time they're they're trying to get their marketing game going. Yeah, it it does intimidate people. I I do talk about um, education based marketing in this book. I didn't I didn't spend a lot of time going to very specific tactics in this book because it really is focused on the strategic side, on planning, on yes. getting all of that right. I'm yes. definitely going to go a lot more into the tactical side in in my next book, which I'm which I'm currently writing. But um, but content is absolutely super super important. And you know, I often give the example. I don't, do you know um, River Pools and Spas with from Marcus Sheridan? Yeah, um, he's my he's my homeboy. He lives here in Virginia. Oh wow, and there you I, go. I've interviewed him for Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, but I've also interviewed him twice about the first and second edition of his book, They Ask You Answer, which is one of my yeah. all time favorite books. Yes. Yeah. He, he travels with me, as does Alan Dibb, on that same presentation. <laughs> Wonderful. So, Wonderful. You know, that warms the cockles of my heart to hear you say that. Now, are you are you working on like a third edition of the book? I'm not working on a third edition. I'm working on a. We're going to come out with a hardcover edition for the kind of the fifth anniversary of the uh, of the book, and there'll be probably a bonus chapter for, in the hard hardcover edition. But uh, so I'm working on that sim- simultaneously with the the next book. Oh, I see. Oh, and so that you're going to have a little bit more about. Are you going to talk about Marcus or, or content? Yeah. So, um, so, so what, what, what I use Marcus as an example for many of my clients in that, you know, he built river pools and spas to be an, an amazing business built on content. And what's the best content? Really answering the questions that your, your, your ideal target market are typing into that Google search box. So I'm kind of obsessed with you know, what are people typing into that Google search box? And it's usually pretty specific stuff. It's usually not general things. Like you're not likely to be typing in just swimming pool into Google. You're going to be typing in what's the difference between a fiberglass and a concrete swimming pool or, mm-hmm. you know, what what are my electrical costs going to be, you know, running a, a pool pump or, or whatever. And I find myself doing those, those exact things when I was uh, researching for my own swimming pool uh, for – for this house. So I was thinking, you know, uh, do I want salt chlorinated or do I want that, whatever, you know, how loud is the pump going to be? You know, where should I put my pool equipment? All of that sort of thing. So people are searching for specific stuff related to what you do and you want, you want to show up in those search results. And were any of your pool questions answered by Marcus's website? Oh, definitely. His stuff rank, rank outranks everybody. Um, <laughs> I so. think he's, I think he's the number <laughs> one site in the world. He is. He is. And unfortunately, he doesn't operate in Australia. But um, but yeah, I, I got a lot of really good information from him. Yeah, so many great stories. And I remember him, I think he was getting messaged early in the early days when he, we'll tell his story another time, but he was getting messaged from people around the world saying, can you, I know you're in Virginia, but can you come and supervise our 
our pool job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that was a that was uh, you know very interesting, and his his story is is just amazing. So, well, good. Well, uh, Alan, keep me posted on that uh, on that fifth uh, edition book there. Oh, wow. It's because um, I want to be able to uh, recommend that to folks, and uh, it seems like it's it's very durable, and you're not ever going to stop. Um, talking about that and i just have to share uh this one thing i've said presentation which always gets everyone's attention so Mm -hmm. there's that that up there okay first i show your picture okay because i got to give you your full props and i'm sure of the cover of the book the it's the yellow cover the first edition was white right Yes, correct. Yes. Okay. See, I know what I'm talking about here. When you're the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you know all <laughs> kinds of trivia like that. So um, I, I talked about that, and, I, and, and I, that's when I introduced the – and then I show the grid, and I show that bottom part, which I think is in green, and uh, on that particular book. And you know, I say people are not – companies are not focusing on their current customers. They're spending all their time and money and effort trying to go after the new people. Mm-hmm. And then – and if I have to give the talk after lunch, this wakes everybody up. And I say, and the reason for that is because companies are addicted to sex. <laughs> and then your grid is still up there on the screen. And there everyone's like, oh, what? You know, I can see them uh, putting their glasses on and looking up from their, because uh, most of them are looking at Instagram while I'm talking. And so then I then go on to explain that uh, Noah Fleming, uh, in his book, his book is all his book is uh, evergreen and the, the loyalty loop. And he's very much uh, he writes these brilliant books about basically the bottom part of your grid. Sell more to your current customers. There are acres yeah. of diamonds out there. And he once told that story when he was talking to a group of accountants at a, I think in a conference in Washington D.C. And that was the only way he was going to get them to wake up. As he said, companies are addicted to sex. And what he means by that is the sexiness of going after the new business and, you know, bagging the bagging yeah. the trophy and dragging it back in. Whereas, uh, you know, to use a something different you know, analogy, somewhat related to farming, but, you know, uh, hunting, farming may seem a little less uh, sexy, but that's where the money is <laughs> harvesting is. all it of is. that, uh, all of that money. So just want you to know, Alan, that, you know, you're, if the people are ha- reacting wildly when they finally first meet you or whatever, at least in the United <laughs> States, they, they say, wow, do you, do you know this guy named Burdett? Cause he, <laughs> <laughs> still had quite an effect on him although it was noah fleming is the one who uh who uh, i steal that joke from oh, i'm quite the stealer so well alan listen i really appreciate the opportunity to to catch up with you here on authors in quarantine uh, getting cocktails and i hope that you and uh, your family stay safe in that nice uh house in melbourne <laughs> and uh that uh we're able to um to keep in touch yeah, for sure, David. It was wonderful to be back on and wonderful to connect, connect with you again. And when this is all over, uh, we must catch up in person. We, I think we missed each other on, the, on, the, on my tour, but I'd love to catch up with you again in person. Yes, I remember speaking to your marketing person She was because I was trying to help something. Actually, they said, oh, come up because he's going to come up to his event in New York. And I something yeah. happened. Oh, I had a client thing that day and I couldn't come up, but I knew you were going to be in North Carolina. And I knew that your marketing director, I was teasing her because she's from North Carolina. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, I finally learned what a Tar Heel is when, yes. when we were going over the state lines from Tennessee to North Carolina. The, uh, the 
the Uber driver said to me, welcome to North Carolina, home of the Tar Heels. And I thought, what is a Tar Heel? Yes, <laughs> so it's, a, I had it's to the look Tar it Heel state. But listen, if you need me to come to Melbourne, you know, I'm just a 33-hour flight away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome anytime. You can be my guest, Doug. Well, thanks very much.